0: What's going on, Valley Christian Church? How are we doing today? Woo! Loving the energy in here. It's great to see you guys. My name is Stephen Francis, and I'm excited to be here for week two of our series called Spheres. You are where you are for his sake. Last week, our lead pastor, Dr. Greg, did a phenomenal job laying down the groundwork for this series, and I'm going to be building off of that today. But before we continue, though, right off the bat, I want to talk to you guys a little bit. Right now is wedding season. Uh, many of you guys have attended weddings in the past uh, couple of months. You, maybe you're going to attend one soon. And even if you haven't been to one this year, a lot of you guys have either been married, you've been in somebody's marriage, or you, you visited somebody's wedding. Excuse me. And, and here's the deal. I was blessed and fortunate enough, I actually had the privilege to do two weddings last week of two people, of two couples that were in the life of our church. Super blessed about that, super grateful for those couples. And one of the things about weddings that I enjoy is not just the ceremony itself, but I also enjoy just the funny wedding stories that come about. And many of you guys have experienced crazy wedding stories. Three stories come to mind. Uh, One story of someone that I knew, they were at a wedding where it was a, it was a, hispanic catholic wedding and the wife that was excuse me the bride that was getting married she had false front teeth and they decided to do communion for this wedding and as she drank out of the goblet goblet of wine her front teeth came out into the communion cup it was disgusting another Wedding story that I remember hearing was someone where they were at a wedding where they decided that they were gonna release doves Which I think is a terrible idea no shade to anybody that's done that. That's cool I just personally don't like animals in closed quarters, but either way this person this couple rather They had two doves that they were going to release to the audience as a way of signifying their marriage together Their unity together and the guy the groom was so nervous. He squeezed the bird to so I think he like killed it in his arms So when it came time to release the bird, he throws it in the air and it comes straight back down. It was horrible. Last wedding story that I'll tell you. This one was one that I was at. One wedding, uh, one common thing about weddings that people like to do is they like to do unity candles. And I think unity candles are a beautiful thing if that's what you want to do. But I'll never forget, I was at my friend's wedding and he was getting married to his beautiful bride. And as they were lighting the unity candle in an indoor church wedding, they light the unity candle and then somehow the light just goes out, like it just blows out, leading everyone to believe that God was not in favor of this marriage. So maybe we should not be as in support of it the way that we should. But here's the deal. Um, the thing about all of this is I, I enjoy wedding stories, and I think they can teach us a lot and it could be funny. But one particular wedding story comes to mind, and this one actually isn't really a wedding story, but it's one I think is worth telling. Some of you guys have been influenced by the story, and this is why I want to share it. Because uh, back in 2015, this was over in Europe, there was a couple that was getting married, and one of the international traditional rules when it comes to weddings is that you're not supposed to wear white to the wedding. The only person that should be wearing white at a wedding is the bride. Traditionally, this was one of those weddings. And the mother of the bride was looking for an outfit to wear to her daughter's wedding. And she goes into the store and she finds this dress that she thinks would be perfect for the wedding. But to be sure, she takes a picture of it and she sends it to her daughter. Her daughter looks at the picture and she sees the caption, hey, what do you think of this dress? I think this would be great. And the daughter replies back to the mom furious because she's like, why in the world would you wear this dress? You know you're not supposed to be wearing white to a wedding and this dress is white and gold. You're not supposed to be wearing white. To which the mother was like, what in the world are you talking about? This dress is not white and gold. This dress is black and blue. This was the conversation that sparked the phenomenon known as the dress. We have a picture of it right here. This was all due to a wedding. Now, real quick, just by show of hands, how many people actually do see white and gold when they look at this dress? All right, a good portion of people in here, actually. How many people see it the right way, which is black and blue? All right, thank you. We are the chosen ones, apparently. (laughs) Here's the thing of why I bring this up, because this is a wedding dress and there's scientific reasons why people see different colors. But how crazy is it that even though you could be looking at the same exact thing, you can have two completely different interpretations. And the thing about this is, especially if you're following along with your Valley app notes, this is actually one of the first things at the top that we can see is that how you see it is how you treat it. How you see something is how you treat something. And that goes for a wedding dress, that goes for how you treat people, that goes for how you treat yourself, and that especially affects how you handle yourself in the workplace. And that's what we're going to be diving into today in week two of spheres, the worldview of work. Now, if you weren't with us last week, we talked about how spheres are the circles of influence that God has placed you in. And that there are seven spheres that we see operating in the world. The first is church. The next is education. Then business, government, arts and entertainment, media, and family. All of these seven spheres are something that we are involved in. And one or more of these spheres, we're in it. And the thing about this is how you treat this worldview, how, excuse me, how you treat your sphere of influence is completely based upon your worldview. And if you're following along, your worldview is the comprehensive perception from which we interpret all reality. See, I believe our worldview is the frame by which we see the rest of the world. Many of us always have questions for ourselves. Should I marry this person? Should I work at this job? In this particular situation, what's the right thing to do and what's the wrong thing to do? We have a lot of questions and many of us find answers to those questions by four major questions that operate the rest of our life. And that is the worldview. In fact, if I could articulate it in a way that can kind of cement it in your minds, the worldview that each and every person has is pretty much the framework of a puzzle that they have made. Everyone here has probably done a puzzle at some point in their lives. It's a design of some sort that has been put into a bunch of different pieces, and they usually put it in a box. And when you do a puzzle, you take it out the box, and it's all chaotic and it's scattered all over the place. So, in order for it to be easier for you to put the puzzle together, what you do is you decide that you're going to create the corner pieces. You're going to put the edging together, and after you get the edging together, then you're going to start to fill in the middle space with whatever is left over. That is what I believe the worldview is made of. And I actually have an image here where we can kind of get an idea of what these four corners are. The first corner that we need to ask ourselves when it comes to our worldview is our origin. Where do you come from? The second is meaning. Why am I here? Third is morals. How do I live? And the last corner is destiny. Where am I going? When you have an understanding of this, it bases everything else that you do in your life from that belief. And everyone here has a worldview. You may not be able to articulate it as good as other people, but everyone here has a worldview. And we see people operating in their worldview all the time. There are people that have a worldview that says, listen, my origin, there's no God or anything. We're just a product of cosmic circumstance. And because we're a product of cosmic circumstance, we just do our best to better society, the culture that we're in. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because when you die, nothing happens. There's some people that believe uh, by their worldview that everything is God, including every animal, plant, tree, what have you. And we're supposed to treat one another with the love and respect in regards to that in the hopes that one day, uh, by the way we treat other people, by the way we treat ourselves, we'll find a higher version of consciousness, a higher version of ourselves one day. And then there's people that just kind of say, listen, I don't think there's any way to know where we came from or what the purpose in life is. So I'll tell you what, whatever works for you, you go ahead and do that. Whatever works for me, I'll go ahead and do that. And as long as we can coexist, that's fine. All of those things are worldviews. And from those big things, we also create actions. Many of us saw what happened in Charlottesville this past week. And what we saw those men and those individuals doing in Charlottesville was a product of their worldview. Many of us were quite stirred up. If you heard about the situation in Iceland where 100% of all babies that were born with the possibility of Down syndrome were aborted for the past decade in Iceland. And that behavior was a product of their worldview in that society. And all of this is something that is concerning not only here, but also to the Apostle Paul. I like to say it this way that your work is a window to your worldview, which is why we're focusing on this topic today. And let the record show, you know, I brought up some pretty dramatic uh, circumstances of worldviews, and I don't want to create this idea that anybody with an opposing worldview than us is hostile and dangerous, because a lot of people that have differing worldviews than those that may be in the church are genuinely good people. They're sincere, they're hardworking, they're great to be around. But the question of the matter is, even though they have all of the sincerity and this goodness, is what they see really what it is? And the way that they treat their world, is that truly gonna have significance in the long run? This was the situation that the Apostle Paul was dealing with in Acts 17. If you're following along with your Valley apps, or if you're following along with your Bible, turn with me to Acts 17. In Acts 17, we see the Apostle Paul. And for anyone that's not familiar with the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, whose original name was Saul, his worldview was that Christians were bad, and he spent majority of his time killing Christians, getting Christians imprisoned. But then eventually he has a revelation from Jesus that lets him see that, no, Christianity is truly the way, and he becomes an apostle. An apostle is basically, in this day and age, like a startup up company person. He went from town to town in his area, country to country, trying to start up new churches, new believers. And that was his mission from there on out. So in Acts 17, he's on his third tour of trying to start up new churches. And he's on the run because Christianity is getting attacked in all different types of sides. But he ends up in Athens where he's waiting for some of his friends to come along and join him as he continues his work. And in Acts, we see this in Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, his friends in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now here's something I want you guys to understand because Athens in this time period is not just the ruins that we see it today. Athens was the epicenter of culture and religion. It was the cradle of democracy. Athens is considered the birthplace of the Western civilization. And things like the Olympics, the Greek mythology that many of us read about, the Greek philosophers that many of us still study, all came from Athens. It was the epicenter of all of it. And if I could compare Athens to any city today, it would definitely be New York City. You know, not too long ago last month actually me and my wife and a few others in the 20 something ministry went to Guatemala on a missions trip and real quick I want to say a big thank you to all of you that participated in donating and giving items that it really went a long way while we were there but one of the things that was funny when we were back at our hotel interacting with other people from all over the country that were in Guatemala for missions was that they were so fascinated from us because we were from New York They thought we were the coolest people in the world because we were from New York. I didn't have the heart to tell them that we're from New York City. I didn't have the heart to tell them that I'm originally from Connecticut. I can't even (laughs) brag about being from New York. But still, they were so fascinated by us because in their minds, New York is a place of influence. It's a place of culture. And the energy about that city, the energy about this area was something that was so attractive to them. And that's the same way it was for the people of Athens. Athens was a place of influence, and their sphere of culture, they were the ones that were driving the rest of the world. But the problem that Paul has here is that even though they're so great in the culture and moving it forward, at the same time, they're worshiping all of these idols that are not the one true God. And the reason why Paul is upset about this is because, first off, scripture says that we're not supposed to worship any graven images, any false gods, things that people try to make into a version of God. Because first off, you can never make a physical image of who God fully is. You can never capture his character in a statue. But the other thing as well that upset Paul is this, is that you don't need to make an image of God because God has already made images of himself. See, Genesis says this, that in the beginning, God created everything, the heavens and the earth and all of it was beautiful. And while he made all of that, before he finished his work, he made his ultimate creation, which was man and woman. And man and woman was so better than anything else that God has created because he said that he made it in their own. He made them in his own image and likeness. We are the only thing in existence that has the resemblance of God. This doesn't mean that we physically look like God, but that we have some of the same capabilities in in minor form that he has in major form. So he goes on and he says this, Genesis 1 verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. God is saying here, and you can see it a lot clearer in the original language, but what God is saying here is I want you to create more what I started already creating. I want you to increase what I have already caused to be birthed. And that started in the Garden of Eden where Adam's job was literally to cultivate the garden, to grow the garden. And from there, they were also supposed to have children. And from those children created uh, neighborhoods and from neighborhoods, communities, community cities, which would create more job opportunities and expansion and exploration. And eventually the world would be similar to how it is today where there is cities and development and all of these things advancing the human project all to the glory of God. But on top of that, God also gave them a choice. And he said, listen, you have this option. He said this in so many words. I'm going to give you the choice. Do you want to worship me by believing what I say is good and evil? Or do you want to decide for yourself what is good and evil? And unfortunately, they make the decision that they are going to decide what is good and evil. And that decision caused for sin to enter into the world. And it made work difficult, but it also caused for everything that man does, although good, although still part of somewhat God's plan, now everything that is birthed is now bringing corruption, is now bringing sin. And that was the case for the people in Athens. They were doing great things in the culture, but it was also skewed and corrupt. And that was exemplified in the fact that they didn't worship the one true God. So Paul decides that he is going to do his best to articulate his worldview, which is the gospel worldview, to them. And the gospel worldview is, yes, uh, God created everything and it was good, but man sinned, which caused for there to be disruption in the universe. But also God in his love saw to it to send Jesus. And Jesus is the image of God who came and he exemplified what it is like to do work well. He exemplified what it is like to love another person. And he did that through his heart, through his serving, through his passion, ultimately leading him to die on the cross for our sins but also with his power rising again on the third day with all power and authority in his hands, showing that we not only serve a God that loved us enough to die, but we serve a true God that can't stay dead. But God in his power again reveals this to Paul, who didn't believe it at first, but now he believes it. And now because he has this gospel worldview, he can't share any other type of worldview. In fact, this says here in your notes that the gospel worldview can't be a shared worldview. And the reason why it can't be a shared worldview is because it can't be a part of your worldview. It's too big. It's too expansive. It has to be all of your worldview. You can't share it. And this is sometimes an issue with our culture because we have many people that, yes, they believe in Jesus. And, yes, they want to walk in his ways. But they also believe that how everybody else behaves themselves and handles themselves is also just as fine. But if Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, if he died on the cross for all of our sins so that we can have salvation in him, either that is true or it's not true. They can't coexist. Paul, knowing this again, he decides that he is going to use the sphere of influence that he has and influence those that are in his area. So we see this in Acts 17, verse 17. That so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. The next thing in your notes, if you're following along, is this, that the gospel worldview seeks to excel and extend. Seeks to excel and extend. See, I believe there was a strategy in why Paul, seeing that there was an issue in the culture at large, would start first in the synagogue. Because again, that was his fear. That's where he had influence. So he starts here, and not only there, but he was also a tent maker. He knew how the marketplace worked, so he started to interact with people in the marketplace as well. He did what God called him to do, and in so, I believe he also created credibility with the people that were around him. People who didn't know Paul at first says, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. Man, this person is trustworthy, and they were able to back him up and support him as he went from the synagogue and then into the marketplace. See, I think this is something that we could definitely learn from because, yes, we live in a culture where there's a lot of opposing worldviews, but also many of us have a wrong worldview when it comes to how we are supposed to live as Christians, according to how the gospel is supposed to live. See, for me, I grew up in a very Christian environment. I grew up with Christian parents. They sent me to a Christian school. I went to a very Pentecostal Christian church. And then if I wasn't at any of those places, I was at my grandmother's house where instead of us watching television, she had us doing prayer meetings for all different types of stuff. True story, I used to be jealous of my friends on the bus because they would say, oh, man, I'm going to my grandparents' house. I can't wait to get some candy and get some money. And I was like, wow, your grandma does that? My grandma says, don't sit in my living room and let's pray for the president. Like That's pretty much what we did at grandma's house. And while we were doing that, while I was in that environment, I always used to see different people that behaved and treated those that were different than them in different ways. And I usually saw two vehicles that they did it, or a mixture of the two. Sometimes they would try to reach out to people, but they were trying to do it in a way that was mediocre. They were trying to do it in a way that was kind of like, well, this is good enough. You know, the gospel and the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. We're going to try to reach people by doing these mediocre things. And then there was also people that said, you know what? I don't think we could really save the world. What I'm going to do, I'm going to separate what is sacred and what is secular, and I'm going to stay away from the secular as best as possible. I remember when I was in high school, I walked up to a friend of mine at the lockers, and I was like, yo, man, have you heard this new song from the Black Eyed Peas called Let's Get It Started? Like, that is my jam, bro. Like, you got to listen to that. And my friend was like, "Mm, I don't listen to secular music, and neither should you. (laughs) Judgy eyes and all, walked off. I remember when I was also the captain of my bowling team, and yes, I said that. I was the captain of my bowling team. All right. We could talk about this later, but nevertheless, as I was the captain, we won that year, just so you know, as as I was the captain of my bowling team, my Christian bowling team, I said, you know what our name should be? We should be the Ballers because, you know, a bowling ball, right? Super corny, nevertheless. But I literally had people come up to me. I was like, that's a really secular name, Stephen. The Ballers, what about Holy Rollers? I think that's just as fun. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can't stand the, 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 the corniness that's happening here. It's already bad enough that I'm the captain of this bowling team. Nevertheless, we have to add a corny name too here's the deal, you know, as I'm talking about this, I saw this video the other day that I thought perfectly captures what it is that I'm trying to articulate, where people are trying to stay so sacred that they make themselves off from the secular. So just real quick for a minute, let's watch this video together.
1: Do you love Uber but always worried about the topics your driver may bring up? Enjoy the rides, but not that crazy about the music selection? Introducing Uber Christian, where custom dash cameras carefully monitor drivers to make sure they'll never swear. and Radio filters ensure that K-Love is streaming at all times. With Uber Christian, you can now enjoy like-minded conversations with drivers who also prefer Fox News over CNN. And with complimentary water and breath mints, we'll make sure you travel feeling refreshed and uplifted. And your safety is always guaranteed as each ride includes prayer for traveling mercies and a hedge of protection. Believe in predestination? No seat belt required. At Uber Christian, our custom maps will even prompt detours to avoid potentially tempting situations like bars, nightclubs, and women jogging in yoga pants. Upon arrival, each driver will send you off with a side hug of encouragement, then rate your driver based on fruits of the spirit. Finally, for the believer who doesn't want to be in the world or of it, Uber Christian. Love your ride? You can even tip your driver with an inspirational Bible verse. So live your best life now with Uber Christian. Also available, Uber Catholic. And coming soon to select markets, Uber Mormon.
0: It's funny, but truth be told, there are honestly people that really live their lives in that way where they believe that that's the safest thing to do. And here's the problem with that, when you have a worldview that says that I'm going to do everything that I can to avoid people that don't believe in the God that I believe in, what you're saying in so many words is, yes, I have found God, but he doesn't care about you. When we try to reach out for people, where we want to have them come to know God, but we don't operate in excellence, it doesn't work because why should we believe your God is great if he doesn't drive greatness in yourself? One of the things I love about this church, not to brag, but what are the things I love about this church? We're not a perfect church. We, we have things that we have to work through. But nevertheless, what I love is that we decide that we're going to do everything that we can to reach the unchurched person. We're going to operate in excellence in the way we do worship, in the way we preach, in the way we handle our kids' ministry. Because we don't want people to think that our God is a God of mediocrity. But that our God is great. He does great things and he wants to do great things in us. And that the person that doesn't have that great of a life for the person that struggles, that they can know that there is a God that's great enough to deliver them from addiction, to fix their marriage, to help them with their children. Paul operated in his fear and I believe he operated in a way that would create credibility so that when people heard what he had to say, they also had to listen. And Paul continues to do this until it sparks curiosity amongst the other people that were in that area. Acts 17 verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others says he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinity, divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, real quick, just to give you some understanding, the Epicureans in this time had this belief that pleasure is the greatest good and that the greatest pleasure is peace and the absence of pain. Put simply, they are materialists who believe that if it feels good, do it. But the problem with this worldview is that if you're pursuing only happiness, then the problem with pursuing only happiness is that you always have to have good happenings. But we know that life is not always filled with good things that are happening to us. The Stoic philosophers believe this, that you must accept what you've been given in life. That you don't let the desire for pleasure or pain or fear ever control you. Everything is rooted in nature and their mentality was basically you get what you get and you don't get upset. You just make it work. If life gives you lemons, you make lemonade and you just keep moving forward. Truth be told, what blows my mind is that this philosophy of thought is still around today. Different versions, different variations of it still exists today. And the other thing about this is that as Paul was excelling and also extending the word of God in his sphere, he started to interact with these people, these philosophers, who by definition of the spheres would have been in the same sphere, in the sphere of church and religion. So they start to make fun of him. And the reason why they were confused by this, and this is just a quick little add-on because you know I study the Bible. The reason why they were so confused by what Paul was saying is because the word resurrection here in, in the original language meant Anastasis. And they thought Anastasis was a Greek goddess. So literally they would hear Paul. It's like, listen, everybody, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you and Anastasis from the grave. And they were like, bro, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm confused. And they ridiculed him for that. But then not only did they ridicule, them, ridicule Paul for that, but then they also said, we want to know more about what it is that you have to say. We want to understand where it is that you're coming from. We see this, and they took him, verses 19 to 21, and they took him and brought him to the heir Repagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Paul excelled so far in his fear, and even though people didn't understand it and they ridiculed it, it caused him to have a venue in the one area where his view, his worldview, could be communicated most clearly amongst those that were curious. And this isn't necessarily in your notes, but I believe that there is something worth mentioning here, that in you sharing your worldview and you living out your gospel worldview, you will experience sometimes people that don't understand you, and they will ridicule you for that. But on the same breath that they ridicule you, they will also become curious as to what it is that you believe. I wish I had a, a, a penny every time someone was like, yo, bro, I can't believe you're a Christian. But hey, real quick, can I talk to you about something real quick? Um, so my grandma is really sick. Um, can you pray for her? Do you know how many times I've heard people, it's like, I can't believe this person is a Christian, but hey, real quick, um, can you just help me with my marriage? Like, we're not having a good time right now, and I could really use your help on what to do. So many times we get scared because we don't want to get ridiculed for our worldview. And yes, that is sometimes a part of it, but also in the midst of that is a curiosity that brews because if you're living for something that is greater than what we can see here on this earth, it will cause for any soul, for them to want to know what it is that you believe, to draw closer to that, to understand that. So I won't go into all the verses, but Paul then preaches his worldview. Everything that I mentioned before, the four big corner questions, he answers all of this in in, in the Areopagus where they were listening to him. And then after that, it says this here in verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Aeropagus, also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. This next point here is that the gospel worldview should make us a flashlight to the sun's light. I don't think that there is a misinterpretation here when we see this verse that they became followers of Paul instead of followers of Jesus. I believe before they ever made the step of becoming followers of Jesus, they decided that, you know what? I really like Paul. I want to get to know him more. I want to see what he's about. I believe that in each and every one of our lives, there are people that we're trying to impact. There are people that we're trying to influence. And before we can ever get them to church, before we can ever get them to hear a message from someone up here on this stage, they will hear you. Before they will ever follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they will follow you. And hear me, I don't think necessarily we're supposed to be the most perfect example of what Jesus should be. We strive for that, but we live in a fallen world we're not perfect, but we could be lights that lead the way. We could be the light that shows that God is a God of love and that he sent his son Jesus to die for us and he rose again from the grave so that we could have new life in him. And here's the thing about this. I've said a lot about the story of Paul But a lot of you guys may be saying, you know, I get everything that Paul did and that all sounds great, but my sphere of influence is not the church. I'm an accountant, I'm a teacher, I'm a mom. There's not really an opportunity for me to do what it is that Paul did. I wanna challenge you today and let you know that there's actually a higher expectation for you to do so. Ephesians 4 verse 11 and 12 says this, and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. He gave pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What this means is that once people like me, once people like Dr. Greg, our lead pastor, decided that we were going to become pastors, we actually stepped out of ministry. Our job is to be the people that teach you how to be the hands and feet of Christ. How to reach those that we'll never be able to come in contact with, but they sit next to you every day. They interact with you. They're your neighbors, they're your family members, they're your coworkers. And when we operate in our sphere in a way that causes for our worldview to show the gospel worldview that is not only big on trying to make God's name great in how we operate, but also using it as a witness for other people to see him more clearly, there can be an open door, an open window for that ministry to occur in the lives of those at your job, in the lives of the spheres that you are influential in. So with that, I want to finish up and I'm actually running out of time. So I I want to summarize this story as opposed to just reading it. But one of my favorite stories that give an example of this is in Mark chapter five and six In Mark chapter five, Jesus and his disciples go to this new place. They've never been here before called the Gerasene. And as they get out the boat and they're walking up to this country, this new area, there's a man that's sitting there that is possessed by many demons. So terrifying to the rest of the community that he's literally locked up in chains here in this isolated place. But Jesus being all powerful, casts the demons out of this man and the demons go into a herd of pigs and the herd of pigs run into the ocean and die. Understandably so, this freaks the people out. So they all come into a crowd, a herd, and they tell Jesus, Jesus, you need to leave. We don't want you here. This is disrupting. This is disturbing. You have to go. And Jesus, being the gentleman that he is, decides to leave. But while Jesus is exiting out with the disciples, getting back on the boat to go back to where they were originally from, the man that was freed from the demons runs up to Jesus like, Jesus, listen, can I come with you? Jesus, I want to be a part of your ministry. Can Can I be a part of this? Jesus says this, and I'll read this verse, Mark chapter 19 and 20. And he did not permit him but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the capitalists, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. In Mark chapter six, at the end of the chapter, you see Jesus and the disciples going back to this place. And the first time they went, they were ended up getting kicked out by the individuals that were there. But this is time when they found out Jesus was coming, they brought everyone that was sick. They showed up in herds ready to hear his teaching. And this happened not because of what Jesus necessarily did, but what Jesus did through this one individual. And this one individual used the sphere that he was in in order to influence other people to come find Jesus for themselves. I believe God wants to do the same thing in each and every one of you today, in your spheres of influence. The question is, do you have the worldview to understand that where God has placed you to work is for his expansion in the kingdom? And I think that there's a few ways that we can kind of get an understanding of where we're at with this. And I think the first thing that we can do is that we need to know your worldview. Take the time to answer those four big questions where did you come from why are you here what should you be doing where are you going things to understand the second thing that we need to do is once we see that and many people in here who are churched have grown up in church you believe you have a gospel worldview well now we also have to question your work by your worldview And in your Valley app notes, there should be a bunch of questions that you should be able to ask yourself later on. And I highly recommend you do this in your own time through devotions or some other means where you can say, okay, this is what God says is supposed to be right. But at the same time, where am I compromising? Where am I trying to fit in two different types of worldviews in my life at my workplace? And the third thing that we can do is that we work through our worldviews. And I believe that this comes from excelling at your job, being somebody that when people hear that you're a Christian, they're saying, man, Christians are the hardest working people I know. Christians are the most sincerest people I know. Where you decide that you serve others in your job, it could be so easy in certain environments to just kind of become like a like a horse with blinders on. You're just doing what you got to do and moving forward. But sometimes what it could do for someone just to be like, hey, man, how are you doing today? Is there anything you need prayer for? How's your, how's your family doing? Is there anything I could do to help them out? Serving and loving those that are in difficult situations, sometimes just showing that you someone cares other than what they're used to. And last but not least, seeking the opportunity to share your faith with them. Yes, invite them to church. Yes, ask them to, you, to come to the events that we have and praise God for that, but also just being willing to say, listen, man, I don't know if you go to church or not. I don't know if you believe in God or not. But real quick, I just want to tell you what Jesus did in my life, what Jesus did in my marriage, what Jesus did for my kids. And watching the power of God move in that way through the power of your testimony, through the power of you sharing the gospel in action. And you know, we're gonna be diving into a lot of things like this and getting very nitty gritty in our Connexus Conference. And we really invite you to be a part of that. We really want you to join in that and learn more about things like worldview of work and other things. But for right now, I would love it if we could all just pray together. And in this prayer, I wanna pray for all of the people in here that are in the workplace and where you work is hard. You know, people don't believe in Jesus. You know, people don't really care about that. You're just trying to get your check and move out. But I want to let you know that the gospel worldview says that God, in His power and His ordination, made sure that you were in the right place at the right time to influence somebody there. And for you to have a worldview today that says, you know what, if God is so big, if God is so great, then I can trust Him with where He's placed me, I can trust Him to give me the words to say to that individual that I know needs to hear the gospel and then after i pray that prayer i want to pray for any person in here that maybe you're saying you know what maybe i need jesus in my life maybe i need to live according to this worldview because clearly it's something bigger more grand and expansive than anything that i'm doing with my life i want to trust in him i want to have what he has But first, I want to pray for all of you right here in the workplace, my believers in here. God, I thank you for each and every individual. I thank you for the way, Lord, that you have loved us, for the way that you have exemplified this. And, Father, I thank you for the calling of work that you've placed on our lives, the sphere of influence that we have in our lives in order to build and expand the kingdom of God. And God, we ask, Lord, sincerely, Lord, that you give us the same heart that you had, to serve others that you give us the same heart that you had to love those lord jesus that sometimes make it very difficult to do so that you give us the ability to excel at our job and through our excelling through the excellence that we try to put into our work that we also try to extend lord your word and we say i am good at my job because god is good to me always give us the boldness give us the strength to do so And again, for anybody in here who has not received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I wanna extend an invitation to you right now for you to come to know this great and awesome God, the good, good Father that we sing so much about. Scripture says that if we believe in our hearts That Jesus is Lord and and if we also declare that he is Lord and that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead we will be saved and I want to extend that to you today and there's no magic words to this but I do want to say these words and if you want to receive Jesus today I want you to repeat these words after me dear Jesus thank you for your love thank you for this moment God I ask that you come into my life God I ask that you help me to see things the way that you see them. I confess that Jesus is Lord and that He died on the cross for my sins. Will let my life be a better life because of this moment, because of You. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you prayed that prayer of faith right now,
1: Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church, located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.